Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Bits of Gold, episode 115. Today's episode is all about knowing you can die tomorrow, how to live today. Welcome back to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you're new here, first off, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Second, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. More subscribers help attract more amazing guests to help better serve you with amazing content on how to live with purpose. Now let's get to it. Have you ever thought about what you'd do differently if you knew you had a year left to live? What about six months? What about one month? What about even just one day? I'm certain 99% of us would do a lot of things differently if we knew just how limited our time on earth was. If we could really grasp the fragility in life. I say it all the time, but each day truly is a gift and not a guarantee. We don't control how much time we have on this earth. The only thing we can control is how and where we spend our limited time. On today's episode, this is exactly what we'll be discussing. Today my guest is Kate Manser. Kate is a spiritual leader whose work is to help people live more alive in their everyday life. She is an inspiring author, artist, and the creator of the You Might Die Tomorrow movement. Most of all, she is just so grateful to be alive. And now let's welcome Kate to the show. Kate, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you, Dan. Happy today. I'm just very, very pleased to be here. I think we have a lot in common. So I'm excited to see what comes out of our conversation today. 100%. So I read your book, You Might Die Tomorrow, So Live Today. Could not put it down. It is everything and anything that's been floating around in my head for so long around life, living through the lens of death being a very real reality. And I'm just so excited to share your story and to share the bits of gold that you have on living. Yes, absolutely. Well, you got it and you've lived it, right? Like you've lived through the deaths of your parents and you've really gotten to experience firsthand the idea that death is scary or, you know, when you have to deal with mortality in your life, it is scary and it can be very painful, but it can lead to some of the most beautiful gold, bits of gold in our lives. A hundred percent. Just for those that haven't heard of the book or aren't familiar with your story, can you just share a little bit about, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and your story, and then we'll jump in from there. Yes, absolutely. So like I said, we have a lot in common, you and I, Dan. So when I was around 30 years old, I had three friends of mine die in just unrelated, unexpected events, and they were all around my same age. And what that did to me, that was not the beginning of my awakening, actually. That was the beginning of me spiraling into being terrified of dying all of the time. And I'm sure that there are listeners listening today that have experienced death anxiety like that, where you just become so preoccupied with death that you are maybe afraid to drive a car. Every time the phone rings, you're worried it's going to be another scary call. You have trouble sleeping because, you know, I was having visions of people dying all the time. And I was just so afraid of dying and putting all of my energy into trying to avoid that, that 
my whole life just lost all of its beauty and really paradoxically and counterintuitively what popped me out of that death anxiety was I was in that place for one year just darkness anxiety being afraid and then a fourth friend of mine died and he was climbing Mount Everest and he was someone that I looked up to as this super gregarious good-looking adventurer he was an executive at Google he dated a celebrity and he was someone that as I was so afraid sitting in my house all the time scared of everything that I watched him on social media as like this idol, this role model, this spirit animal who was living my dream life. Well, he died on Mount Everest when the Nepal earthquake struck and that changed everything for me because when I looked at him having made the choice to climb that mountain, I realized that we all have a limited amount of time and energy in our lives. And we can allocate that energy either towards trying to avoid dying <laughs> or living our most vibrant lives. And so ever since that day, I have to wake up and choose every day to choose to live instead of choose to be afraid to die. Mm. I loved what you put in the book around that story. And his name was Dan. Is that correct? Exactly. Same as you. <laughs> you know, I loved what you put in the book, your realization around him needing to climb the mountain and be there to fully be alive. There was so much in that that I so resonated with. Right. I think there are certain things in our lives and we're all different, right? Like not all of us have it in our genes and in our truth to climb Mount Everest, right? But I think we all have these secret desires. We have these deep intuitions of things that we need to do in our lives to truly feel alive. And that might be something as small as enjoying the flavor of your coffee in the morning to climbing Mount Everest. And for Dan, his truth was that was actually his third attempt climbing Mount Everest. The second attempt especially was when there had been another avalanche and many people were killed. So he fully knew going up that mountain that he might not come down. And he had to do it anyways as part of living his truth. And that realization to me was just that it gave me courage. It gave me courage to be my own version of bold. I'm not going to be climbing Everest in my life. That's just not, <laughs> it's not on the page for me. It's <laughs> not in my, my intuition. But there are so many aspects of Kate's greatest boldness and vibrant living and feeling alive that it inspired me to live. So I'd love if you could share a little bit about your own story following his death. Yeah. And just to give everybody context. So I'm 37 now, and this pretty much all happened around the age of 30. And so and the book came out two years ago. And so I actually have a whole other layer of context about what it means to live your most vibrant life that I've even grown beyond since the book. And so in 30 year old Kate at the time, I was working at Google. So I was a colleague of Dan's as well. He was an executive at Google. I was not an executive, but I had an amazing job. After he died, I had always had this deep desire to travel and, and hadn't really traveled much at that time in my life. And so I was struck with this fire of the phrase, which is the title of the book, which is, you might die tomorrow, so live today. And it was like in that whole year of death anxiety that I had, I was repeating that same phrase, oh my God, I might die tomorrow. I, but it was filled with fear. I might die tomorrow. I, I shouldn't drive there. I might die tomorrow. I can't go on that trip. It's too scary. And then when Dan died, the same words, you might die tomorrow, just became the most emboldening, procrastination busting, decision paralysis, jumping out phrase that caused me to realize that I wanted to quit my job at Google 
and travel around the world. And so that's what I did. And I traveled around the world for two years. And as you read in the book, it was a, you know, leading up to it, it was really scary. There were tons of times that I wanted to put my tail between my legs and not quit the job at Google. There were tons of times that I felt really scared to travel around the world by myself. But at that time, that was my highest expression of living like I might die tomorrow. But what happened was when you're traveling around the world, it's really easy to feel alive <laughs> because <laughs> you're climbing mountains, you're meeting new people, you're experiencing new cultures, right? Like you're just feeling super present and super alive. Well, what I didn't realize is that my biggest lesson from, from Dan and from the idea of living like you might die tomorrow would come when I came back. And that lesson was that my greatest challenge in life is not to learn how to feel alive while I'm on top of a mountain in Japan. My greatest challenge in my life, and I believe in all our lives, is to feel profoundly alive on the most quote-unquote average, simple, sweet sunrise moment or in the afternoon rolling around on the floor with your kids. So for me, the greatest lesson of this whole story and what I'm still working on today and what I'm still trying to teach others and myself today is how to feel alive anytime not only when you're traveling around the world, but on an average Tuesday on your way to work. Mm, that's amazing. How do you think you can become more alive in like a very mundane and almost like a boring day? Well, there are so many ways. And two of the ways are number one, neuroplasticity, right? We can train our brains to appreciate those small moments. If we're always focusing on the next thing, the next promotion, when we lose weight, you know, when we have the next kid, all of these things that we're kind of future focused in our lives, we miss the beauty of the present moment. And so if you can really start to focus on looking around in your life and noticing the beauty that you have in your life in the present moment, that's the first way to train yourself to appreciate being alive. And the second way I think is to really stop focusing on finding happiness and to start focusing on, again, that joy of being alive in the here and now. And if you are a procrastinator, raise your hand. <laughs> if you get stuck in decision paralysis like me, raise your hand. I'm like card-carrying procrastinator, get caught in decision paralysis, all of that, or at least I really used to be. But ever since I started looking at life through the lens of the fragility of life, and that it can all be gone at any moment, the happy moments as well as the sad moments. And since I started focusing on the joy of being alive versus trying to find happiness in the future, I have become so present in the here and now and so aware to the minute and profound beauty that we have in our lives. And I found a new expansiveness. And that's what I try to share with people now. That's what I want people to learn from my work is that by having an awareness of your mortality and by feeling grateful to have survived all of the sort of near-death experiences that we have every day, driving a car is in fact really dangerous. <laughs> and if you think, oh my gosh, I just survived my drive to the grocery store, that can be a really good feeling and that can help you appreciate the wonder of the selection of apples at your local Whole Foods. Mm. Without having lived through a significant loss or having had a, oh shit, I almost just died moment or that person that's so close to me almost died. How can people embrace the ability to 
really understand, you know, how how fragile life is and take that and apply it in their own life to live purposely, knowingly that they too will die eventually? That's an amazing question. Well, I think that if you don't think that you have experienced loss or a near-death experience, you're not looking close enough at your life and you're not fully opening yourself up to the miracle it is that we're still alive. And we've all seen celebrities, right, who have taken their own lives or died unexpectedly. Like I said, it's really dangerous to drive to the grocery store. So if you're looking for a near-death experience in your life, just think back to the last time you went swimming or the last time you drove a car, which statistically are far more dangerous than getting in an airplane, for example. And I also think that if you are, again, looking for that aspect of fragility in life, we're all mortal, right? Every single one of us share that. It's this universal quality that we are all going to die one day and we don't know when. And so if you are looking for a reason or a way to gain motivation or pop yourself out of decision paralysis or procrastination, that healthy realization that life will end and we don't know when with that stoic philosophy of focusing on what you can control and disregarding the rest. Like I over-focused mm. on the idea that I might die for that whole year where I was just hyper-focused on it. But if you can look at it objectively and understand, yes, dying is part of life and I don't know when. Okay, I can't control those elements. What can I control? I can control how I spend my days, my time, and my energy while I'm still alive right now. A hundred percent. You know, you you wrote it so beautifully in the book, so I, I wrote it down, But and I'll get to that in a second, but I think a lot of people live their life as if death is very far out in the future. They're not constantly thinking about, oh, it's very possible that I'll die tomorrow or that person that I love can die tomorrow. You put it very beautifully in the book at the beginning. Most of us navigate our lives as if death were the North Star, a fixed distant point. We're correct that life ending is a fixed certainty. We're wrong, however, to navigate by the assumption that it is far and in the distance. You know, I think that that's how so many people, especially young people, sort of navigate young or early adulthood. And, you know, I wish that it's something that more people that are going off to college or just in their early 20s, early 30s could really hold close to them as they navigate their early adulthood. I totally agree. And as you know, having experienced your own loss and our society's difficulty with talking about death. I'm sure you experienced, you know, when your parents died, how difficult it was for people to talk about the fact that they died. They didn't know how to be around you when you were in your grief. Maybe they didn't even want to talk about it. They pretended like it didn't exist. And so we put the goldfish away without showing the kid that the goldfish isn't coming back. It's like, oh, the goldfish went on vacation, right? And so we grow up with this, you know, to a certain extent, blissful unawareness, I guess, as children. And we do it out of trying to protect kids, I think. But I think in the end, we do them a disservice because it's not real. The reality is, is that death is part of being alive and death can actually teach us really profound lessons that we may not have 90 years to accomplish everything that we want to accomplish. And there's also beauty in endings right? Like this gorgeous cycle of life that we have, right? Like we're born and we, we hyper-focus on this newness and, and being born in this opportunity, but we don't give enough weight to the idea that 
when we die, we're going to complete this incredible cycle that we share with all of nature. Everything in nature has a cycle. Everything in nature also dies. And in that denial, we lose that connection to all of that. And we also lose that sense of urgency, which is, I think, Mm. exactly what you're talking about, the sense of urgency. And here's one thing that I'll say, and anyone who has lost someone unexpectedly who hasn't grappled with mortality before will be able to understand this. And that is that if you aren't taught about death in your life as a child or as an adult, if you haven't done your own study into it, if you haven't begun to open your heart and soul into death, when you do experience unexpected death around you, you not only have to deal with the grief of losing that person, but your whole mind gets completely blown with the idea that someone could even die early. So before you can even deal with the grief of losing that person, you have to deal with that shock and that whole worldview changing that death even exists for someone who is 30, right? So if you can open your mind and your heart and your soul to the reality and the natural element of death, of passing on, when someone does die close to you unexpectedly, you'll be able to skip over that just shock and complete change of your worldview. And you will still go into grief, of course, but you'll be able to move through that shock more quickly or bypass it entirely once you have a full understanding of mortality and go more into the inevitable grief and processing. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting hearing you say that. So when my dad died, I was 20. And at that point, I, I had lost grandparents. I had lost an aunt, even some friends from childhood. But one of the things that I can reflect on now is that I actually couldn't even process that my dad had actually died and that the finality of it, that he was never coming back. He was sick with cancer for about seven months. And in that process, I never thought that that death was even a part of the equation. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear, hear hearing you say some of the things that you just spoke about. Yeah. Well, going through that, especially with cancer, the narrative, as I'm sure you know so well, with cancer in our society is, you know, that of a warrior, a fighter. We're going to beat this. We're going to try every single possible thing that there is to avoid death. And quite rarely here do we have that acceptance toward the end that death is, that there really isn't really much else that we can do. Of course, that day comes, but in our society compared to others, it's really quite late. And it's, again, this this denial of death. And what happens when you have PTSD is that a belief that you had in life, and this applies to really any any type of PTSD, but a belief that you have had in your life and that you've accepted as truth gets completely obliterated. And so that worldview is shattered. PTSD is you're left picking up the pieces. Like, I didn't know that a reality like this existed. And it's very painful and it's very challenging. But there are many instances of people who progress from PTSD, that worldview is shattered, to PTG, post-traumatic growth. And what post-traumatic growth is, is those people who in PTSD are able to move through, and it may take years where they're able to reassemble their worldview with that new information. And so I'll use my example and probably yours as well, Dan, which is that when I was 30, I had several people die. My worldview that I was going to be able to live to 90 was shattered. And I had to piece a new worldview, which was, oh my God, I'm mortal. I might not live to 90. I could die at 
30, 35, 45, you name the age. And how am I going to repiece my worldview together? And in my case, it was accepting that I might die, that it can be any time, and that I am going to live every single day choosing to push my and allocate my energy towards living vibrantly, to feeling this moment, to living with adventure and joy and appreciating suffering. And so for me, that's my example of how I progressed from PTSD to post-traumatic growth and how I reassembled my worldview with accepting death as part of that equation. How does someone grow through something extremely difficult, such as like loss or, or really anything for that matter? I was asked this once, a friend was dumped and he was asking me, how did you move forward after your parents died? And I said, I don't have an answer other than I just did. I just moved forward and I've certainly grown as a result. And I, in many ways, I'm able to live more, more clearly a happier life with much greater perspective and a much more focused purpose on what I want to do while I'm here on this earth. But is there some way that someone can be intentional about growing through the worst moments in their life? Oh, what a beautiful question. And just also commending you that you have turned something very, very painful and shocking into bits of gold, <laughs> into, <laughs> yeah, gold, bits of gold in your life and in so many, and so many others. And, you know, I can't speak for this a magic equation for how to get through challenging times in life. But what I can say from my own experience is that I can get pretty woo-woo, <laughs> but I'm also a person that's really rooted in logic. And so in my life, like having logical thinking is balanced in that woo-woo is kind of what gets me through. And so what I think has helped me really get through challenging times in my life is expecting them expecting mm. challenging times and being realistic with that, you know, and not getting mired down in that, right? Like I did for that year. I had a challenging time and I got completely mired down partially because I was so shocked that I would even have to go through something so challenging. And mm. so for me, getting through suffering now is about understanding that suffering is not only part of life, but it's part of the gift of being alive. And it balances out, of course, it's very cliche to say, but to balance out the joyful aspects of life with the suffering, they make each aspect sweeter and it increases the spectrum of the wonderful emotion and experience that we have in existence. So for me, if, if I'm going to tell anybody what would be a quote unquote silver bullet for getting through suffering, it all comes back to prioritizing the beauty of feeling alive in our life. And part of feeling alive is suffering and pain and challenging emotions, and that it's all part of our profound path of growth and expansion while we're here in, you know, you're in your Dan body and personality and circumstances. I'm in my Kate personality and circumstances and just trying to grow through that and accepting that, man, I'm so happy to be here. Every morning I wake up and not every morning. I mean, I do struggle like everybody else, but every morning I wake up, I really try to just open my eyes and be like, damn, I woke up again today. Like what a gift. And I try to bring that energy even to the challenging experiences of my life. Mm. It's funny hearing you say that. I feel like I'm hearing my own echo in, in my own head because every day when I wake up and I put my feet on the ground, I am just grateful to be alive, to to have my health with me and 
to go out and be able to make choices in that day. It's really a grounding thing to wake up and start your day with gratitude for just simply being alive, being healthy, and being able to go make make choices in your day. Exactly. And that is part of that neuroplasticity training that we talked about, which is that if you want to develop an appreciation for challenging times, for life, if you want to change your thinking towards that very cheesy attitude of gratitude mnemonic device that we have, again, I'm just really passionate about the idea of taking your focus away from trying to feel happy and pursuing happiness in life, this nebulous idea of that, and instead appreciating being alive and everything that comes with it. And that can include big risks. Like if it's in your life path, maybe that includes climbing Everest. Maybe that includes quitting your job and traveling around the world for a while. But that also includes appreciating being alive includes appreciating the small moments that we have in our life and our blessings and slowing time down so that we can actually experience our existence and being present in the here and now. And just like you said, feeling your feet on the floor in the morning and be like, damn, I get this opportunity today. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about death awareness and the deathbed gut check? Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. Again, procrastinators and decision paralysis, people raise your hand. This is for you. (laughs) And This is something I created for myself because I have totally struggled with this stuff. But again, I'm encouraging everyone here today to invite mortality awareness into your life. And mortality awareness is a fancy way of, you know, remembering that we're all going to die and we don't know when. And having that sort of I guess you could say if it, if you have a lot of fear around that, a semi-detached awareness where you're not allowing yourself to spiral at that idea, but just accepting the reality. And so the reason is because it can bring so much positivity to your life. Again, it connects you to everything that is natural out there, it connects you to every human being, every tree, right? Everything that has a cycle in life, it connects you to. And it also inspires urgency and clarity in your life. And I think we all are looking for a little bit of clarity. So the deathbed gut check is something that I created as a way to help me make decisions in life. And it can be anything from a small decision on, you know, you're weighing, oh, should I go to this this event tonight or not? I kind of want to stay home and do nothing. Or should I go out and you know, mingle with people, or it can be a big decision, like whether to have another kid or whether to quit drinking or whether, you know, any of these decisions. So here's what it is, and you can do it right now. So anyone who's listening, just think about a decision that you've been struggling with in your life. Maybe it's, again, going to that event. Maybe it's something bigger, like making a big change in your life, but something you've maybe been procrastination or decision paralysis on. Once you have that in your mind of you haven't known which direction to go, You can close your eyes for a moment and imagine yourself on your deathbed. So maybe your deathbed is on the beach. Maybe it's on white sheets in a window-filled room, but you're at the end of your life and you're looking back in your life review and you're looking back at this decision that you've been struggling with. And you look back on your life movie as if you chose option A. You did the thing. So you did the thing. You're looking back. Now observe how you feel in your gut having gone to the party or quit the job or quit drinking or whatever it might be. If you feel a tightness in your gut that, you know, things are out of alignment, you kind of feel like a pit in the bottom of your stomach, you can repeat that same thing. You're thinking about your decision. You close your eyes. You're on. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Your deathbed, you're looking back in the movie of your life. Now see how you feel when you look back on the movie of your life having chosen option B. So the other option. And you might notice whether you this time feel a lightness in your gut. Something tells you that you made the right choice, that you feel good about it. And this is something that you can do. We've just done it over the period of like 15, 20, 30 seconds. But once you get good at it, you can start doing it and it will take about five seconds. And the reason is because at the end of our lives, all of the illusions, all of the bullshit seems to fade away. We no longer care at the end of our life what people think about us. We no longer care how much money we have. Suddenly what we value most becomes clear. And so I want you to be able to harness the power of the quote unquote end of life clarity or the near death experience without having to be at the end of your life or without having to have a near death experience. And so this is a tactic that I learned that was actually based on a quote by Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, as many of us know, had cancer and ultimately died from cancer, but he gave a commencement speech at Stanford. And in that speech, he talked about how being at the end of your life gives you the most clear perspective on what really matters than anything else. And so the deathbed gut check, you closing your eyes, imagining yourself on your deathbed, having made a choice a certain way in your life and observing how you feel in your gut, that's the way for you to get clarity, to pop yourself out of decision paralysis, out of procrastination, and help you make the choice that's most aligned with what really matters to you. Mm, I love that so much. I truly believe that there is no greater teacher in your life than the fact of death and that knowing you're going to die really can enable you if you really like embrace it and understand that you two are going to die and that you don't know when you're going to die, it can really enable you to live life with the greatest amount of purpose and the greatest clarity and just the ability to truly live the life that you want to live. I always say that after my mom died, the greatest thing that life taught me was that we don't know how much time we have on this earth. 
and we can't control it. The only thing we can control is how and where we spend the limited time we're given. And I think that it's very similar to the deathbed gut check, although that the deathbed gut check is a little bit more practical and tactical in terms of helping you make decisions. But I really believe that if people were able to understand and just live in that place for a second every day that an hour from now, a day from now, a week from now, a month from now isn't guaranteed, they'd live incredibly different lives. And I think that that's so much of what I try to share via Bits of Gold and a lot of the content and the people that I bring on the show. But I'm curious, I guess, how do people get to that place where they are living there for a minute or an hour, a little bit in their life every single day to understand that there are no guarantees that tomorrow is going to come for them or the the people they love? Well, the first thing they should do is go to my website, buy a sticker that says, actually, I give them away, their donation (laughs) base, buy a sticker that says in big black letters on a white background, you might die tomorrow, so live today, and put that on your bathroom mirror or on the dashboard of your car or somewhere where it reminds you every single day that we don't know how long, exactly what you just so beautifully stated, right? So like having a reminder every day that time is short. Yeah, but it's a frustrating topic for me because everyone knows like, and everyone knows that death is coming, right? That's the only guarantee once we're born, you're going to die. But you know, like, like you put at the beginning of your book, everyone lives as if it's going to be in such a far out future that, oh, today I'm going to make decisions that are going to be more practical, or I'm going to hyper-focus on the money in the bank or the job I can't leave because the money's too important or, you know, decisions, or I can't go talk to that that person because I'm too scared. All the decisions that you wouldn't make if today were your last day alive. Mm, yeah. I think that we don't think about it every day, actually. I, I think I kind of contradict, which is like, if you don't have a reminder, like, an integrated practice in your life or a sticker on your bathroom mirror. It doesn't have to be mine. I'm not the only one talking about this, but I think that we have to have an everyday reminder that life is short because if we don't, it's so easy. I call it the washing machine of life. And even though I literally wrote a book on this topic and you, you know, we've both had these profound experiences relating to mortality and we've had these growth experiences around that. You and I, I'm sure we still get caught up in achievement focus or the everyday frustrations or losing track of what's important. And so I really feel that having an external reminder every day that that life is short, having an external reminder every morning that we got the privilege to wake up this morning, like we have to have some type of reminder or integrated practice. And that's what the Buddhist, and it's not only the Buddhist really, even ancient Christian priests, they have for example, the Capuchin Temple in, in Europe, they have these crypts, right, where the priests would go down and they would meditate to meditate on mortality. Buddhists have many, many practices about meditating on mortality. Ash Wednesday in the Catholic and Christian religion, they put the brown ashes on your forehead and they say, to dust and to dust you shall return, right? Like these are our reminders. If you start opening your eyes and looking for these reminders that life is short, and reclassifying them in your mind from, oh, that's morbid and that's depressing to, oh, this is my reminder that I am a beautiful mortal being and I don't know how long I have in life, then that can be that everyday reminder because it's so easy to forget. 
and our society does a very we're just not our society is not built to remind us that we're we're dying or that we will die our society is built to deny death in almost every way mm. yeah 100% yeah you know it's so interesting speaking with you and talking out loud about death and the the profound impact that death has had in my own life and what it's shown me i've connected with so many people now who have lost someone significant in their life and i hear often I would trade anything to have the person back. I would trade it all. The the people that I've connected with or the things that I've learned. And obviously, it's just a hypothetical because, you know, that person's never coming back. But I've sat and thought about it to great length. And like, I personally, I wouldn't change anything that's happened in my life. My dad died at 20. My mom at when I was 25. And for me, it's like the things that I've learned about how to live a life worth living, I wouldn't trade it because in many ways, I feel like I'm able to understand what really matters and how to live a life of purpose today. And I guess I wish that more people could get to that place without having to, you know, lose someone significant. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You just, (laughs) you just gave me the chills, Dan. I mean, you just touched on something so important, which is switching the idea of our pain and suffering from isolating us to connecting us. So typically when we go through pain and suffering, whether it be we have someone, you know, you had both your parents die in a short amount of time and at a young age, or whether you have gone through your own illness, mental illness, physical illness, whether you've had a near-death experience, whether you've gone through divorce, alcoholism, addiction, disability, I mean, the list goes on. Any challenging experience that you have in life, reframe your thinking from that being something that you deal with alone and instead start to think about that as you now connect with and empathize with every other person in the world who has ever lost someone to opioid addiction or who has had a learning disability or who has gotten dumped or divorced, right? What you've done with your tragedy and challenge, Jane, is you've changed it into something that connects you with other people. And you've created this podcast to help you reach out to those people and spread that message even further. And so I would like people listening to think about the things that you've gone through in your life that have been really challenging. And now imagine all of the hundreds or thousands or more like more than likely millions or billions of people that have that are alive today or have come before you have also gone through those experiences. And if you met them in a coffee shop or on the street, you would be able to connect with them in a way that someone who hasn't gone through what you've gone through could never empathize and connect with. And that suffering is now a connective experience rather than an isolating one. Mm, Absolutely. I'm curious if today were your last day on this earth, how would you spend your last day? Oh my goodness. Yes. So, I mean, I just, I have to confess that when I wrote the book, You Might Die Tomorrow, I actually caught a lot of flack because people hyper-focused on this reality that when I was 30, my version of living like I might die tomorrow was quitting my job at Google and traveling around the world. And a lot of people that struck a nerve or a chord with them and they kind of shut down after that and were like, well, I couldn't quit my job and I've got kids and I could never travel around the world. But they missed the most important part of the book, I think, which is that for me, the biggest lesson that I learned is not necessarily that you have to have big risks and big changes in your life. Although I do believe that that calculated risk and adventure are a good and important part of being alive and living a good life. But if today was my last day, 
I would spend it with people. I would spend it with the people that I love and care for. I wouldn't be climbing up a mountain by myself to stand up on top of that mountain. I would be calling every single person that I care about and love and making sure that they know that I love them, making sure that they know what I appreciate and love about them so much. And I think this is an important exercise for people to take, to think about, okay, if today was my last day, would I, you know, drink 10 gallons of wine, eat two plates of brownies and drive 140 miles on the freeway? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's what you want to do. But I think a lot of us have different versions of what we would do with an extremely limited amount of time being one day. And if what's most important to you is making sure that the people that you love know that you love them, then that's something that's a cue to you. That's what you need to be doing every single day. Mm. I think probably more than 95% of people, if they knew they had a year left to live, would live differently. 150%. Yes, absolutely. It's probably more than 95%. Yeah. If I had five years left to live, I would also be doing things a little bit differently. Sure. Yeah. And I think that even when, you know, I feel like I'm pretty in alignment with how I would live. Would I spend money a little bit differently? Probably, <laughs> you know, not having to think about the future at all beyond one year. But I think that it's a good lens to look at your life. And a lot of us may not want to make drastic changes all at once. Although if you have that in you and you feel that you're living out of alignment with what is your highest truth and how you would spend your last year, make a big change. But you can also look at the small changes in your life. Like, for example, are you wearing the clothes that you think other people want you to wear or to fit into society? Are you wearing clothes that express yourself? Are you holding things back in conversations with people where you're not speaking your truth? Are you going to work and working a job every day that makes you really unhappy? Or are you going to work every day and finding meaning in what you're doing? And so I think that we can look at small areas of our life, the way that we're spending our time and energy, in addition to maybe some big changes that we might need to make. Mm. Can we go back to, you know, you mentioned that when you first came out the book, some people came after you around the practicality of your dream being, I want to leave my job and travel the world. I'm curious if you could speak a little bit around people who challenge Oh, yeah, easy for you to say that because I can't do that. I have two kids and I have bills to pay. I'm curious if we could talk a little bit about that because I actually find that more often than not, I really feel like a lot of times those are not necessarily excuses, but people, whether it was intentional or not, made choices and not all the time, right? You know, some people are born to better circumstances, easier circumstances, but we're all living in some ways a result of choices that we've made to put us in the position that we're in or not in. And I guess I'm curious when people challenge this idea of living that you might die tomorrow, saying, oh, you need to be more practical with your life because you are going to wake up tomorrow and you have bills to pay and you have a family to take care of and things like that. I'm curious if we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So in my book, I have an exercise called the Delta Assessment. And the Delta Assessment goes down through many different elements of our lives. You know, our job, our families, our friends, personal time, introspection. It has all of these different elements. And then you can score yourself based on how you are living in alignment with how you want to live. And then how are you actually spending your time? And that assessment allows you to look on a really micro level, like, 
Am I overspending time at work? Am I underspending time with my kids? Am I doing a good job in the area of being in service to others? Am I doing a bad job in having you know, quality alone time. But it allows you to look at your life and say, whoa, I'm really overspending in this area and really underspending in that area. And so that exercise is a really good exercise to do once a year at minimum to get a check on, you know, how you are allocating your time and energy. And it's called the Delta assessment because you're discovering what is the Delta between how I want to live and spend my time, my alive time, and how am I actually living and spending my alive time. Mm -hmm. And in regards to the people who either read the book or met me and heard my story and just immediately shut down and said, well, I could never do that. Like, that's not for me. Like, I've got bills. I've got kids. Like, most of them are just shutting down, right? Yeah. I've heard people say similar things to me around, you need to be more practical with your life. And, you know, I think those naysayers, some ways those dream killers, you know, like <laughs> they might be living the life that's a result of choices that they made that put them in the exact place that they're in. And maybe they're miserable. Maybe they're maybe they're unhappy with the with the life choices that they made that put them in that spot. And their perspective is based on those experiences that led them to that point. But just because that's their life doesn't mean that that needs to be the life that I'm going to live as well. The dream killers. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And, it, and I think it's just a question of someone saying, oh, I can't versus, oh, well, quitting my job and traveling around the world isn't something that's necessarily in the cards for me right now. But how could I express living like I might die tomorrow? How could I express living my most vibrant life? And so the main thing that I really want people to take away from the book is that living your most vibrant life, living like you might die tomorrow is different for every single person. Every single person hopefully has a slightly different brand or iteration of living your highest truth and your highest good. So I encourage people to do the death delta assessment, do the deathbed gut check, to imagine if you had one year left in your life and write it down. Since uh, actually this at the beginning of this year, I came out with a workbook called the Alive Workbook. It's available on Amazon and it's a workbook that will help you discover what your brand of living like you might die tomorrow looks like. And it helps you isolate you know, what are the big things? What are the big changes that you could make to live more in alignment with your truth? And what are the small micro, maybe awareness changes that will help you in the things that you say, do and wear that will help you live that highest truth? And so my story is my story. Your story is your story, Dan. But what I want everyone to do is take the time to look at what do you want? because I didn't do that. I just followed mm. the blueprint until I was 30. I got married. I got the job. I got the two dogs. I bought the house with the husband. And all of a sudden I got on top of that mountain. I was like, wait a second. I never even asked myself if I wanted to be on top of this mountain. And we just do that. We get caught up in the blueprint of life, in what others expect us to do, what we think we're supposed to do. And we don't stop to look around in the, worlds of, in the words of Ferris Bueller until life has passed us by and we're like 75 and we're like, oh my gosh, this was my life. I could have done whatever I wanted with it. And there's a lot of shit now that if I'm 75 that I may not be able to do. And so all I'm asking for people to do is wake up, figure out what makes you feel alive and create direction in your life to start doing that. Yeah, Katie, I, you really hit it with just becoming intentional. I think that that's what thinking through life through the lens of death really can help people do to actually sit down and say, Hey, what do I want? What do I want my life to look like? What do I want my day to look like? What do I want my hours when I'm awake to be like? 
to become hyper intentional around what you want to do and why you want to do those things. Yes, exactly. And just remembering that this is your life and you can do whatever you want with it and taking away some of those self-imposed pressures that we all put on ourselves to impress other people or make a certain amount of money. And just remember that it is is all kind of a cosmic game and we're all just these tiny little star specks doing our best to survive. And so being intentional and looking at what you want, taking away those external pressures and trying to enjoy your life and have some fun with it. Mm, amen. I bought the book and I also listened to the audiobook. Oh, yay. <laughs> I know that there's the deathbed meditation and you take the, the readers through a meditation to become more hyper aware as if death were, were knocking on your door. I'm curious if we can wrap this episode with you leading us through a, a deathbed meditation. Yes, absolutely. And we've been prepared for it by talking about the deathbed gut check. <laughs> so the deathbed meditation, I'll just speak really quickly about it, is an opportunity for you to be guided to not only look at what your deathbed might look like and embrace your mortality in a calm and safe and peaceful way, but then also get the profound perspective that comes with it. So let's jump into it. I love this. Thank you, Dan. Awesome. Wonderful. So if you're listening, I encourage you to just kind of sit back in your chair or if you're on a walk, you can calm your energy. I like to imagine like all my anxious energy within me is like snowflakes in a snow globe that has just been shaken and there are all that anxious energy is just floating down, down, down within you. And in your mind's eye, like a movie screen on the inside of your forehead, you can do this with your eyes open or closed. You imagine yourself on your deathbed. You're at the end of your life. There's nothing more for you to do. Everything has been done and said up to this point that you could do in that time. You actually look around at your deathbed. You notice what kind of surface you're lying on. What's the environment around you? Are you inside or you're outside? What does the light look like? And you notice that wherever you are, you're completely at peace. And in this opportunity on your deathbed with nothing more that you can do or say, you dive into the movie of your life. Your life begins to flicker before your eyes from childhood, faces float up, people who are meaningful to you. You move through your adolescence, experiences float into your consciousness, salient memories, into adulthood. And you ultimately come as you observe your life from the detached, clear, meaningful perspective of being at the end of your life. You come to the period of your life of you as the meditator. You look at the people who are most meaningful to you in your life. And you observe how have you tended to those relationships? Are there words left unsaid that if you could, if you weren't on your deathbed and could go back and say something to show love more that you could do. You have those observations on how you might nurture those relationships a little bit differently if you had more time. 
And then your awareness comes again. There's nothing more for you to do at the end of your life. You're just observing. If you had more time, what would you do differently? What changes might you make in your life? Are there any dreams that you've put on hold that now from the perspective of your deathbed you can see are not in alignment with how you wished you would have lived your life? You start to internalize, again, without emotion, just from an aware perspective, those relationship changes, those life changes, and the sense of peace that you have for being at the end of your life. And now from the perspective of the meditator, we get to come back to the present moment. But as you come back and maybe you open your eyes, you open your eyes with a new vibrance. You see colors more vividly. You see small details around you of beauty. You feel your alive body, this mass, this presence here. And you realize that the deathbed was an illusion. It's something that will happen to you in the future. But in this moment now, you feel that body of yours, your heart beating, the breath in your chest, and you realize that you are super, super alive in this moment. And any of those changes that you may have observed that you might make if you had more time, you do have more time. You have today. You have breath in your chest. You have your profound time of this moment. You have the energy. And if you'd like, you can take this opportunity now as you come back and feel that aliveness within you that vibrance around you to maybe write in your journal of if there were certain people that you wanted to say certain things to or certain actions in your life that you wanted to take that you noticed from the perspective of your deathbed that were out of alignment and recognize that we might die tomorrow, but we have today. And you can choose to see the stress and frustration of life or you can choose to see the beauty. And every single day that you wake up, you can choose to say, oh, damn, it's Monday. Or you can open your eyes and, like Dan, put your feet firmly on the floor and say, it's today. I woke up. What a gift. The end. Wow, that was, that was amazing. I'm sitting here, have chills, and just even more grateful to be sharing this moment together and to be alive in, in this very moment. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me here and opening up your listeners even further to this idea that I know you've already been talking about. And I'm just really grateful to connect with a kindred spirit like you who has gone through really challenging times and has come on the other side brighter, more appreciative of being alive, and more appreciative even of the painful experiences that you had. And that is something that I hope all of your listeners can see is possible for everyone. You can have your parents die at a really young age and miss them terribly and also see that it made you into who you are today and made you appreciate being alive in a way that you could never have if you hadn't lost them. Mm, so beautifully said. Where can people connect with you, follow you, buy the book? I'll include everything in the show notes. Good. Yeah, I would love to connect with you. I recently started a YouTube channel. So I left Austin at the beginning of this year. I had bought an old and cheap RV and renovated it. 
So I'm now living on the road. I'm speaking to you today from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So I would love for people to watch my YouTubes and get to know me better. I'm also really active on Instagram and TikTok. My name on both of those is The Alive Kate. So not only do I talk about death, but I talk about how to feel profoundly alive in your everyday life, no matter what you're doing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. (laughs) Man, my pleasure. I'm just really grateful to have a new friend in you, Dan. All the links for this episode can be found in the show notes. I just love that deathbed meditation so much, and I know I'm going to go back and listen to that again and again. Knowing you are going to die can really be motivating to help you in how to live. If this episode moved you, I want to hear from you. I want to know. Shoot me a message on Instagram at Dan Lev Goldberg. Finally, if you get a chance, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I would really appreciate it. That's all for today. Thanks for living with purpose today and every day, and I'll see you next time. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.